And you know what? I got to compliment you on your music choice for the podcast. <laughs> so I'm excited for you to kick it off. Let's let's hear it. Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for motion designer Adrian Thompson. I think every freelancer should have a digital product. It's so easy in today's environment. You have nothing to lose. You have the skills. You can create a product for no money down, just using your own talent, upload it and try to sell it. It's really interesting the momentum you get when you have clients. It's like success will attract more success. And I can't tell you exactly how this works, but there is an energy about it. Like people always say, when it rains, it pours. Yes. Hello. How are you? Hope you are well. Hope you're having a good week. Uh, So Adrian, as you can tell, is over in the States. Uh, Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is where you can go to uh, find all of the episodes from season one, two and three, because we are into four now, uh, into our third year of doing this podcast. And um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at beingfreelance. Sign up for the newsletter online at the website beingfreelance.com. And I have started a Being Freelance vlog. It is a weekly vlog and you can find it on YouTube. Uh, Go to youtube.com slash Steve Folland, F-O-L-L-A-N-D. So that's the Being Freelance vlog. No interview, just seeing what I get up to. But the main thing you could possibly do to do us a favour, other than leave a review on iTunes and stuff like that, is spread the word. Like if you know other freelancers, tell them. Uh, you know somebody who's thinking about going freelance, you think they'd find this useful or enjoy it, tell them about it, send them a link or something like that. Anyway, let's crack on and cross over to the States and say hello to freelance motion designer Adrian Thompson. Hey, Adrian. Hi, pleasure to meet you. Good to be here. Cheers for doing this. Um, Whereabouts are you based? Um, I'm actually in Central Oregon. I just moved from the San Francisco Bay Area last year. Ah, okay. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your journey because you're one of the people who I'm going to speak to who isn't a freelancer in quotation marks as such today because you've grown your business uh, beyond that into more of a right. stu- studio. We've had a few people like that in the past, but um, let's hear it from you, though. How did you get started, first of all, being freelance? Sure. Well, I was always interested in video from a young age, and um, I decided to go to the San Francisco Bay Area to study film at a junior college because it was affordable. And Ended up meeting a lot of great people there, and we started doing short films. And through those people, I was able to get an internship at a corporate agency that did a lot of work for the big companies around there in the Bay Area. And my first job there was being a compression guy, which is a very lame title. But I eventually got fired from there, believe it or not, because my motivation was just down the toilet, and I just kept showing up late. So I deserved to be fired, but that was a real big wake-up call for me. From that point, I ended up just putting out you know, a bunch of feelers trying to get a job. And then still one of my contacts from college had a job at a studio. He introduced me to the owner and he saw a video I had on YouTube, which is totally not safe for work. It's actually, a tut- <laughs> <laughs> it's a tutorial I did about blowing your head off. And it kind of went viral. This video has over like 200,000 views. But anyway, the, the guy saw that and he's like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Clearly he can do animation. So he ended up hiring me and... I started working there with no experience as a motion graphic artist. I ended up becoming the lead animator because the current lead animator got in a car accident and they just needed me to step up. I went through two years of working there and then I didn't end up deciding to go freelance. The company started doing poorly financially and he made a lot of the people that were employees freelancers. um, So he would hire us when he needed us. So by that nature, I was 
kind of thrown into freelance. Yeah. And from there, I just started reaching around to other clients and people actually found me. So that was kind of the, the start of me getting into it. And what sort of year are we talking about? And how, so how, this, how old were you then? Yeah, this is uh, 2007 into 2008. So I was 21 and then 22. But you did get then two years of um, motion design yeah. under your belt before you found yourself freelance. Correct. Had, yeah. had you been like building up a, you know, like a presence as yourself online or anything by then? Or yeah, I always had you know really terrible portfolio websites online, but I didn't put a lot of effort into it because I was already employed. The industry in the Bay Area was fairly small. It seemed like everybody kind of knew everybody, and people are always switching jobs. So even just from producers that were leaving that studio, there was actually a pretty high turnover of producers. They would go and start working as marketers or producers at other companies, and they would remember working with me. And that was a big lesson in how the industry works, and it really helped me understand how important it is to create positive relationships, especially because of how frequently people were moving around. You never knew where they might go and then you want to you want to be on their good side when they get somewhere yeah 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 good point so so what happened from there then so i started freelancing um and i really didn't like it there were pros and cons i, I liked the variety but uh, it was honestly very stressful working with different people all the time and and studios would want you to come to their offices in san francisco which is kind of a nightmare for an introvert like me trying to drive and park in san francisco and working with different people and I never really established confidence in my skills either. So going to a different studio and seeing all those artists that were clearly, you know, kind of hot shots in their own way, it was just an intimidating thing. And I just never enjoyed it, especially because there was never leadership that made me feel comfortable. There was never like this feeling of, hey, join our team and let's accomplish this thing together. As a freelancer, it always felt like I was just this outsider that they were throwing you know, some side job too. And they gave me some vague instructions and said, Hey, go do this. And I'm just kind of in a dark corner working away, trying to get this job done and hoping that it, hoping I'm pulling my weight. And that just was never, it was never a positive experience for me. So that's what led to me thinking, well, if, if I can't find what I want in freelance, maybe I need to create what I want, which is what led to me starting a studio. So when you say you started a studio, was that a studio of one? Correct. Yeah. When, when you're, uh, when you start a business, you always make it sound bigger than it is. That's, that's one of the <laughs> rules. So it's always we and us when it's just me. So, but, but it's interesting though, because it, it didn't have to be, it could have been Adrian correct. Thompson. You sure. So yeah, it was just me in the beginning and I did do everything myself, but the reason I put it under a studio name is because it, that was not the long-term strategy to be myself. I knew that I needed other people to create the type of work that I wanted to make. And I knew to get there, I had to have clients so that I could afford to pay those other people. So from the early stages, I knew this was just temporary. I was going to have to do all the work myself and just slowly build up. So I just marketed a package of um, of an animated video for $3,000 that will do everything, which is ridiculous. I mean, I, that's it's almost impossible to make money doing that. But that's what I had to do to get started. So I just email blasted a bunch of companies in the Bay Area and finally got a client and then we were off to the races at that point. <laughs> In what way were you off off to the races? <laughs> because one so we got that one job and yeah. 
that client, so once I had that in with that marketer, they, they actually hired us to do four videos and then they came back the next year. And it, it's really interesting the momentum you get when you have clients. It's like success will attract more success. Mm. And I can't tell you exactly how this works, but there is an energy about it. Like people always say when it rains, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> like when you don't have any clients, it seems like nobody wants to work with you. It's it's kind of a weird thing. But once I got that those that client with those projects, the next year, it just seemed like clients started contacting me, whether it was even from older relationships. But after that point, it was actually, there was a six month period where I didn't have any work. I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do to get it. Um, after that, just jobs started flowing in. And from that point, I never had to reach out. It just seemed like an email would come in and as a job finished, a new one would just appear in my inbox. So um, it was really interesting in that regard. And it, so it goes back to what I learned about positive relationships as well. Because even if you're working with a really small time client, like the one I had at first, I made their experience so positive and I was really impersonable to them. And the same thing happened where those marketing guys moved to different companies and mm. they still will occasionally contact me to this day saying, Hey, I'm at this new job or now I'm, um, you know, I'm a counselor for this company or on, a, on the board of this company and they need a video, you know, could you do this for us? How did you then start to grow the company beyond yourself? So I had to keep raising my prices, obviously like $3,000 for a video is not going to work. But so every, every like half a year, I would kind of bump that up a few more thousand. And then the first step I did was bring on a graphic designer because that was my biggest weakness by far is graphic design. And I, I had no desire to learn graphic design. So I brought on a graphic designer and we kind of tag team these videos together. I was still doing all the rest by myself. But then as I kept bumping up the stages, I would bring on more and more help. So I eventually got a script writer and I got um, a sound guy. And then I eventually was able to outsource the animation. So we have you know these four consistent guys working now. And it, it required me to keep upping the budget so I could afford to pay them fairly. But now I'm at a place where I'm able to manage the projects and at that point able to manage more projects so we have more work coming in. And that was always the goal because I realized that I was more passionate about managing this creative process rather than actually sitting down for eight hours and and doing the work myself. It just seemed like there was plenty of talented people already doing that, that I should cultivate that rather than try to compete with that because it just seemed like the natural fit. And like one of my views of our industry is that we just lack leadership. And that's why I had all those feelings early on as a freelancer. That's one of my theories is that there was just no leader that could cultivate my potential and that was my problem. So I think that's what I think I'm meant to be with the studios. I'm meant to be a leader that's cultivating this creative energy into something that's that's bigger than me. Did the team that you were putting together, were they working for you on a freelance basis or did you have of or are they employed? Nope. It's it's all contractor based, yeah. So they still work with their own clients. Um I actually don't keep them busy full time because um you know, the stages of projects are always evolving. And I never wanted to grow the studio beyond that point because really, honestly, the studio is a lifestyle business for me, being able to work from home and spend time with my family. So I, I intentionally didn't grow it to the point where we had to get a building and all of this because even our contractors are spread out between California and Oregon and Canada and Washington. And honestly, it's just, it's really enjoyable because they all work from home as well. So they all have their own schedules and... um I, I'm honestly a big proponent of that, wanting freelancers to build their own success. I think once you start bringing in employees and 
trying to manage them into like this your your own pocket then you start kind of limiting their potential whereas i'd actually rather my contractors build their own mini empires and their own businesses and i'd like to see them succeed in their own way rather than in my eyes hold them back as employees you mentioned the cost of things earlier and how about managing the cash flow of it because that changes when you become responsible for a bigger project yeah it does so one thing i had i realized i needed to do was charge 50 percent upfront because i needed to make sure that my guys got paid like if the client disappeared and for some reason didn't pay the final amount we had to have something because we would likely have started all the work so that's that's how i cover ourselves in that regard we'll need a, a deposit and then we charge the rest at project completion it, it hasn't become a problem if you if you get a couple of jobs stacked where you have a deposit and then you're finishing up a job and you're getting the final payment it's um it's always worked out but i'm always very conservative with i won't take my cut unless a job is done so i i usually don't get paid for you know 45 days after a project is maybe finished so that's what's allowed us to at least have a a reserve to make sure everybody else is paid and how have you developed those sort of business i don't know chops as one of our previous <laughs> guests called it austin like you you said yourself taught is is it from watching what others have done where you were you were working before or that's a great question. Um, I think I've learned from other people's shortcomings in real life. And and the chops that I have learned would be from books by Seth Godin, who's a, he's my favorite author. So I've read books of his like Lynchpin and Poke the Box, uh, Purple Cow. I watch a lot of business shows like Shark Tank and, and The Prophet with Marcus Limonis, who's always pe- he's always preaching people, product and process, which I think is is a beautiful like definition of what business should be. So it's really just, and, and podcasts, honestly, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, like Smart Passive Income and just these entrepreneurs that are that are sharing their mind. And there's been a few critical ones, like with the guy that wrote the E-Myth, I think his name's Michael Gerber. There's just been a few gem podcasts that just hit me at the perfect time. And it just made me realize what being a business person is. There's so much information out there from smart business entrepreneurs the real key is just putting it into practice. Um, I had to be careful not to just learn and learn and learn. I would have to listen to a podcast and then put it into practice, decide that I believe what they said and then do it. And that's just proven to be really effective. I'm intrigued about the people, product and process. We don't get that show over here. That obviously meant something to you in particular. So what did you take from that? So one of the shortcomings I think about our creative industry is that we only focus on the product. Like we're obsessed with creativity, we're obsessed with perfection and and color combinations and we kind of forget about the process and we kind of forget about the people that it takes to get there. And, and this is just my experience within the industry. Um, like when, like I see it all the time on Twitter from from very popular artists and people that I follow, they'll, they're just not treated in, in what I would consider a humane way. If you see people working 10-hour days, if you look at Hollywood and you see how people are treated, um, if you go to an agency and you see that they don't pay their employees overtime and they expect them to work on this big job just for the prestige of it, it's just there's no respect for the people doing that. And what I mean by process is just organizing some sort of basic strategy like here's the steps we're going to take so that we don't waste people's time 
Whereas people are kind of disrespected in a way that they they're meant to solve problems just by the the manner of doing it over and over again until it's right, instead of having it be planned and executed right the first time, which is you know the foundation behind my passion for storyboards, which we can talk about later with the software. But like storyboards are like a critical step that is often still skipped to this day. People will just skip the storyboarding process because they just decide, well, I could just pay my guy to work, you know, a couple more days to solve the problems we would have solved in storyboarding. And to me, that's just, it's not right because by doing that, you're, you are hindering that person's creative energy because you're, you're taking it away from them. Like when you're repeating a job, you just lose your motivation to make that job special because you're, you're kind of spinning your wheels and you're not gaining momentum. Instead, you're taking two steps back. And ultimately, that's just not um, that's not the healthy way to a, a strong business. Mm. So this was, what, four, no, five years ago now that you, that you found yourself being freelance or? I started the studio in 2012. So yeah, I think it's been five years now. Have you noticed a change in that? Is there a, a different stages of evolution so far as you've been running that? I think I think we've hit the plateau and that's what's inspired me and, and honestly I've been I I wrestled with that and realized that that's I'm good with it um because I like I said earlier I didn't want to grow this business so we've hit a plateau in terms of project and like yearly revenue and I'm good with it honestly because it's allowing me to pursue other opportunities like I'm very interested in passive income and creating products like I have some digital products on our website that we sell and I started this new software and to me that's that's really interesting at this point is creating things that are that you can reach more people with rather than only working on one project at a time for one client at a time like that's fun in its own way but after doing it for several years i realized like i wanted to explore some other types of business ventures related to our industry so t- tell us about the products then so you, this this was a new way to bring income to you and keep yourself busy cuz clearly you're not busy right. enough Right. So this, this happened from a podcast, somebody talking about creating digital products. And I just asked myself, why don't I have a digital product? I mean, and that's, I think every freelancer should have a digital product. It's so easy in today's environment with the, there's a, there's a website called Gumroad. You can upload anything and sell it. It's so easy. They they take like a 3% cut, but it's online and anybody can go and buy it. And I think in our space, it's just a, it's a no brainer to, to take a stab at that and get something online. And I think you just have to get over the fear of failure in that regard. And to me, that's what it was. So the first thing I did was just make some preset animations. Like I've watched a lot of tutorials in the past about how to animate text in After Effects, which is the program we use um, as a motion designer and I used. And I kind of understood that tool a little more than the common animator. Like it was kind of an obscure thing. So what I did was make a bunch of presets of these text movements, which I created a pack of 25 and I created some, you know, some fake marketing or not fake, but like a fake product box and some marketing materials. And it took me about five days and I was like, well, I'll just put this online and try to sell it for, I was so nervous about it failing. I posted it on Reddit and I said, Hey, you can have this for a dollar because I like you Reddit guys. (laughs) <laughs> because I was so nervous about people being like, why would you charge five or $10 for this? I might've paid a dollar, but the, there's this weird psychological thing you have to get over when you start doing this. But once I started seeing people buy it and then I upped it to $5 and then I upped it to $10, people still bought it. And I just realized like, this is a no brainer. Like I made, I made my week's worth of money within a year and I, um, 
I just realized I should do some more of these. And then I kind of took it to the next level where I hired um, a developer to create a script. Um, there was just this common problem in After Effects where I wanted to create an animated arrow. And there was no easy way to do that. You had to use a complicated expression to link these layers together. And it was really, it was just overly complicated to have a simple arrow animate on the screen. So I just um, reached out to some developers on this website where it's kind of like the app store of scripts for After Effects. And um, one of them got back to me and I just hired him to make it. It was it was kind of a gamble. I paid him like $5,000 to do this. And uh, it, it was, I, re, I just, re, like, this is the one thing about business I realized, like, I have to take a risk like that because if I don't, then I'm never going to move to the next level. And I think a lot of people struggle with just taking that leap. But anyway, for me, it ended up being successful. Like I made the money back in less than two months. And since then, it's been two years and like that one, that product sells like $8,000 a year. So I just, I made another one that wasn't as successful. But what I learned from that is that, and from these podcasts that I hear from all these successful people is that you just kind of have to take a stab at it. Otherwise, if you don't, then nothing's going to change. And I just realized like, the benefit of having some passive income is worth that risk to me. So, but man, when you know you've got a, a young family, uh, how how old, how old are your kids? Are they? So I have a three-year-old and a four-month-old. Okay, so at the time that was uh, a well, like a one or a two-year-old then when you were first yeah. spent signing a five thousand dollar. <laughs> Chet, like <laughs> that that yeah. must feel like well, am i mad yeah you know and, and i'm going through that all over again with this software project um and i think you do have to be a special a special kind of mad to do it but <laughs> <laughs> some but more had, context had you, had you been putting money to sorry to had, had you been like saving yeah. money you know for this kind of thing or were you you know yeah getting loans or credit cards and- no 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 um no, I, I do not recommend debt at all. So I never, I've never been into that kind of a debt before. But yeah, I would, I would put away money like as a business, you know, and you have your profit margin, you can choose to pay yourself that money or you can leave it in the business. And that's what I decided to do. Um, at the time, my wife was working before we moved to Oregon. So we did have that, um, comf- we kind of had that like fallback, you know, like I could afford to fail essentially. Like I could afford to lose this money um, I didn't think it would happen. Like I had a feeling some people would buy this because if I have this problem and I looked around the internet all over the place and there were people asking about it, you know, like what's the best way to do this, this arrow? And I was like, well, I, I think this was worth a shot. So, and then how did you go about marketing that? Um, so I, I got it on the, the app store. It's called AE scripts. It's like the iTunes for this type of thing. And that's where most of the profit comes from. Well, and all this time too, I've been writing on my blog to attract people. So I was getting like two to 3,000 hits on our website through the blog where I had some tutorials as well. And so then I created a little shop area on the blog and that's like where 30% of the sales are happening, but really the other 70% are on this other website. So by then you've got a taste for this passive income. Right, yeah. So is the next stage what you've mentioned a a couple of times, the software or were there other products? Yeah, no, this is the next step. So the the digital products have been going for like the last three or four years. And it's been about, you know, provides like a thousand dollars a month fairly consistently. And if you can look at it this way, like that, the money from that is allowing me to build the software. I'm kind of like reinvesting that money into this storyboard software idea, because this has been a huge pain point in our time as a studio is trying to 
do the storyboard process online and talk about it because we're all working remotely. Um, so we ended up using Google Docs because that was the most collaborative um, tool that made sense. But it's really been super tedious to create. It's just not meant for storyboarding. It's If you insert a, a storyboard, then all of a sudden all your numbers are off and you have to update it manually. It's just think, little things like that. Huge time wasters. So I actually saw a competitor launch the middle of last year. And to me, that validated my idea, whereas it easily could have turned me off to like, oh, somebody's doing it. I may as well not do it. But actually seeing that competitor launch inspired me to move forward with it because I was like, well, if this and it's kind of a, a, a higher end agency and um, I think near you, I think they're based in London. They launched it. And I was like, well, if they have this need and they're investing money into it they're I must not be the only one, I think. And, and usually in business, there's not only one winner. So I thought, well, I can at least make a splash in this in this new genre that's going to pop up. And it's funny since then, I mean, I've seen two other storyboard softwares launched that are approaching it in different ways. So I think clearly there's a need for this type of thing. So what's it? Oh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but t- tell us what it's called. It's called Plot. And the web, the website's theplot.io. Congratulations! It looks it looks Thank awesome. You. By the way, I'll put links in uh, in the show notes of this to uh, Kyle Webster's episode as well, uh, which uh, is a, a similar thing of when he thought, you know, it's particularly when he had a family about, you know, how can I be more than just an illustrator? How can I expand that? And then started dabbling dabbling with products. But even then, I don't know. There's got to be that entrepreneurial thing on you but it's not for everybody well i i would challenge i would challenge a freelancer's mindset because i think if you're a freelancer you're already a business whether you like it or not and i think everyone that's a freelancer needs to tell themselves that like you're not you're not just a creative individual that's being hired to do some creative work once in a while like you're you are your own business that's that's what the government sees you that's how you should see yourself and i think there's some simple things that I would recommend a freelancer do to help encourage that mindset of them because it, the the uh, solution is not to avoid business by any means. I think if you want to live a freelance lifestyle, you have to understand basic business principles and you have to embrace that whether or not that's intuitive to you at first because it's only going to help you. And like for so we already talked about selling digital products. I think that is a no-brainer. I think every freelancer should try that. Because you have nothing to lose. You have the skills. You can create a product for no money down, just using your own talent, upload it and try to sell it. And you may or may not succeed. But if you do enough, I have a feeling you'll succeed. The other thing would be to offer a flat rate version of your most popular service. Like if you build websites, for instance, a landing page, offer a specific type of landing page for one price, for one for one schedule, and then let a client see that that they can buy a landing page for this flat rate, I, I guarantee you'll sell more of that and it'll be easier for you. Just that, just having that consistency, to me, that's that's honestly the secret, in my opinion, behind the success of our studio is just having a consistent product for a consistent price because when a client goes in looking for creative work, when they start getting quotes from all these freelancers, I think you probably are aware of the answers they get. Like, okay, so what's it gonna cost to make this video? And the freelancers will say, Oh, well, it depends. Like how complex do you want? Do you want 3D in it? Do you want characters in it? Or, you know, what do you want to do? And they'll maybe give you three different quotes that are just ranging from 5000 to $50,000. And the client has to somehow decide like, well, I don't know. Like, I just want to make, I just want to make a, a good marketing <laughs> video. <laughs> they don't, they're not experts in creative work. Like they need to be guided. That's, that's part of our job as creative people is to translate 
the creativity to these these people, like the people that I work with are, are real corporate um, to translate like the benefits of what, in your opinion, what's what's going to do them best. That's what I did with Modio is just having like, hey, here's our quality, here's our price, and we can get it done in 30 days. And that's that's been a secret to our success. I think I think people should try that and I think they'll be surprised. And I also think client relationships are the big thing. Um, oh, good, good. Do you know, I was about to ask you because you said earlier, you know, about being an introvert and yet I'm sitting right. there thinking you must have nailed client relationships somewhere along the line. I, I mean, it was not intuitive at all. It's unbelievable to me being an introvert and then I was I have forced myself into the offices of Google of you know into it like I'm going to these places and I'm talking to marketers about animated video and it's the most there a few times it's so uncomfortable but when you say this stuff enough and when you have your niche you get so comfortable talking about it that it's not it doesn't become nervous anymore because all you're trying to do is just tell them like look at I I offer this service and it's kind of a no-brainer like you can go try to work with these other people, but it's going to be complicated. Whereas you see our portfolio and here's how it works. So it just kind of becomes a routine, which is another benefit of offering kind of a niche consistent service to people is that you, you become really good at, at selling it and talking to people about it in normally uncomfortable situations, especially for an introvert like me. But it's true. I mean, client relationship, just overwhelming them with positivity, um, I see so much in our industry about people reacting negatively to clients. Like there's a website called Clients of Hell where they post their their horror stories of like what the clients are asking for. And to me, that kind of blows my mind because it kind of shows the immaturity of the ability to manage that client. Because the fact that you're just shocked by what they're asking for in and of itself is like, it's just kind of a sign of an immaturity in my mind where... It's our job to tell them what's possible. It's our job to show them what we can do for what price. Um, And I think every interaction with our clients has to ring positive. Like we should never, we should never put them down subtly. We should always be morphing the conversation in a way to move the project forward because that's what both parties want. We want some effective product, uh, video website at the end. We both want it to be good. And I think we just need to understand that. Nice. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? This, I got to tell you, this was really hard for me. I, I've spent days thinking about this lie. <laughs> I, I'm not good at, I was not good at thinking of a lie. But here it goes. Okay. So the most popular video I've ever made is about me pretending to be a police officer. Number two, I saw a stage of the Tour de France and there was a random civilian riding his bike the wrong way on the course. And number three, <laughs> I got into the World Series of Poker and I placed 653rd out of 7,000 entrants. Wow. Now, you see, the first one, I'm wondering whether you gave away something about that earlier on because you mentioned a not very nice video about blowing your head off and I haven't seen it, but maybe you were a policeman in it because I imagine it might need one. I'll tell you, those are unrelated. Those are unrelated. Yeah. The Tour de France one is so weird, if that isn't true, to sit there and go, okay, I've got a policeman one and I've got a poker one. I know, I'll have a Tour de France with a civilian cycling the wrong way, which makes me think that must be true. But And yet I kind of want to believe that you did the poker thing because I can imagine you being a cool customer with the cards and uh, you're not averse to risk. I 
Oh, it's I don't know. Really okay. big right now. I don't think. No, okay. I don't think the policeman one's true. Oh, that one's true. Ah! Don't tell me the Tour de France is a lie. Nope, that's the Tour de France is true as well. Oh, thank goodness. I'm okay with losing so long as that one was true. I, I have a video of it too, somewhere. <laughs> So the poker was the lie. That was a good lie. I had a whole backstory too. I'm surprised you didn't ask me any questions. I prepared some details as well, oh, <laughs> just in case. Oh, I'm disappointed I didn't now. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Uh, that clients are not your enemy, but miscommunication is. Nice. Um, Adrian, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Check out the show notes at beingfreelance.com because they will have links through to everything that Adrian is up to, including the plot storyboard software that he mentioned. Adrian, thank you so much. I normally say all the best being freelance, but all the best with your people, your product, your process, and your family. Hey, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. 